Let us pray. Holy and gracious Father, we ask that you speak to us this morning, that your Holy Spirit would move us in a mighty way. Lord, we cannot move ourselves, not in the way that you desire for us. We need your Spirit to make us new. So come, Holy Spirit, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. In our reading from Matthew that we just heard, we came across the Great Commission. Many of you know the Great Commission. If you've been a Christian for any length of time, you've learned it. You might have even memorized the Great Commission. You probably learned it in Sunday school or a missionary's visit or VBS or from your grandmother's lap. The Great Commission is what you know. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teach them all that I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always, even to the end of the age or earth. It depends on translation, though. Those translations mess up memorization, I tell you. But, but you know it. You've learned it. You wouldn't be a Christian without it. The Great Commission is truly great because it's where Christ sends us, his church to the ends of the earth to make disciples. And so the question for us is not this morning if you know the Great Commission, but the question that's important for us is, is when you hear the Great Commission, do you hear it as a burden or an invitation? Do these words excite you or bother you? Do these words compel you to go? Or do they condemn you for not going? This is an important question because if, if missions is seen as simply a burden, then all we will give is a burden's effort. But if mission is seen as something living and an invitation from God himself that's saturated in the love of Christ, if our hearts can hear these words in that manner, then we will go with heaven's authority behind us, and the world will be turned upside down. And so how do you hear these words of the Great Commission? When Hudson Taylor, who was the director of, of the China Inland Mission, when he would interview candidates to go onto the mission field, he'd ask them, why do you want to be a missionary? And usually they gave one of two re answers. They first would say, one would answer would be, I want to go because Christ commanded us to go. And so I want to go. Or they'd say, I want to go because millions of people are dying without Christ. And so I want to go. Taylor would always reply with these words. He would say, your motives are good. However, they're the wrong motives. They will fail you in times of testing, trials, tribulations, and possible death. No, there is but one motive that will sustain you in the midst of all trials as you go to the ends of the earth, and that motive is love, the love of Christ. Only that will carry you to the ends of the earth. And so is the Great Commission an invitation or a burden for you this morning? It's my aim that it become an invitation. It's my hope, it's my prayer that, that within us would have a living love 
for Christ. And that love would compel us, would drive us, would, would force us out to the ends of the earth. Now, I can't create this love in you. I can't create it in myself. I wish I could. I wish I had a magic pill to give you and say, ah, oh, take this, and you'll want to go become a great missionary. You'll want to share the gospel with your neighbor. I don't have that. I have the word, and I can only ask for the Holy Spirit to help us. And so the prayer is today, come Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your people, and kindle in us the power of your love. Amen. Now let's look at the Great Commission. Matthew 28. We find the Great Commission at the very end of Matthew, and the context is Jesus has risen from the de dead. Jesus told his disciples he would. Jesus told them to also go to Galilee, where he would meet them. And on Galilee, the mountain of Galilee, he would ascend into heaven. And so Jesus has risen from the dead. He's appeared to his disciples. He's told them to meet him on the mountain, and he's about ready to ascend into heaven. And so that's the context of what happens next. And we read what happens next in verse 16, Matthew 28. It says, Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. I want to read that again. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Some doubted. I mean, this is amazing that they doubt. The resurrected Jesus is standing right before them. And they doubted. I think these were the first Lutherans. <laughs> and yet what's more amazing, though, is that Jesus did not rebuke them. Instead, we read, Jesus came to them. Jesus sought them. Jesus met them in their doubt. The good shepherd who seeks the lost sheep came to them, not shamed them for not believing, not said, how can you not believe I'm standing right in front of you? But he came to them. And I, I want to stop here just for a second because this is a picture for us that we can't pass over quickly. We often do. But this is going to be the very source of what missions is. It begins, the, the origin of mission begins in the heart of God, begins in the heart of Christ the Good Shepherd. See, Christ in love knew the world couldn't make it to God, so Christ came down to the world. In love... Christ knew that man couldn't make the relationship right with God, so Christ died on the cross. In love, Christ knew his disciples doubted. And so he came to them, came close to them to speak to them. It's Christ's love for the world. It's Christ's love for you. It's for Christ's love for the disciples that he went into that very uncomfortable place of doubt and met them there. Now, this is important because it's that kind of love that he speaks of as the good shepherd's heart when he says, I have other sheep that are not of the sheep pen. I must bring them also. 
They too will listen to my voice, and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. It's, it's this love of God, love for the lost, that is the source, the origin, the beginning of world mission. It's God's heart beating for all people to know him that drives world mission. His disciples were doubting. Christ would not have it. And so in love, he came to them. What a beautiful, beautiful gesture of our Lord. But he doesn't stop there. Christ knows that they're doubting. He comes to them, and now he must speak. And this is what he says, verse 18. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. That's how he begins. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. And these words are meant to bring comfort. Why? Because they're meant to say, Christ has authority over everything. Um, the pastor, John Piper, explains the comfort that comes with these words by this. He says, all authority means all authority. All authority over Satan and all demons, over all angels, good and evil, over the natural universe, natural objects, laws and forces, stars, galaxies, planets, authority over all weather systems, winds, rain, lightning, authority over all molecular and atomic reality, atoms, electrons, chromosomes, authority over all plants and animals, great and small, whales and redwoods, giant squid and giant oaks, authority over all the parts and functions of the human body, every beat of the heart, every breath of the diaphragm, every electrical jump across a million synapses in our brains, authority over all nations and governments, congresses and legislatures and presidents, authority over all armies and weapons and terrorists, authority over all business and finance and currency, authority over education and research and discovery, authority over families and nations and over the church and over every soul and every moment, every life that has ever been or ever will be. All authority means all authority. I need to hear that. <laughs> Especially two weeks ago at the Synod Assembly, I need to hear that. I mean, we need to hear this. We need to hear it when we're opening the newspaper and we're watching the news as we start doubting everything. The first thing Christ says, he comes to us, and the next thing he says is, I have all authority. Don't worry. I have all authority. I'm greater than your fears and your doubts. I have all authority. You don't have to fear. You don't have to doubt. There's a Sunday school teacher who wanted to teach her class this lesson. And so she asked if any of them what they were afraid of. And so he, she asked, are any of you afraid of not having enough money? The little boy raised his hand. He says, no, 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 I'm not afraid of that. My dad the is the president of the town bank. So the teacher goes, okay, that didn't quite work. Are any of you then afraid of, of not having enough food? And the little girl raised her hand. Oh, no, I'm not afraid of that. My mom owns the store. It's not working for the Sunday school teacher. And so the Sunday school teacher says, well, are any of you afraid of hell? And the pastor's son raises his hand and says, oh, no, I'm not afraid of hell. My dad owns hell. <laughs> and the teacher said, oh, really? Well, 
how, does, how do you know your dad owns hell? And the little boy shocked her when he said, you know, my dad came home last night and told, me, told my mom that the church board gave it to him. I don't know why you're laughing. There's nothing to be afraid of. Christ is greater than all these things. Do not fear. Do not doubt. That's how he begins the Great Commission. God's heart is beating towards you. And it's a heart that's above everything and everyone. Do not be afraid. Do not doubt. Now, it's only after doing this, only after meeting them in their doubt, only after speaking of his authority, that Christ moves to the Great Commission itself. After he's settled them, after he's met them, after he's met them in their despair, it's only now that he, he's going to send them. And he sends them with these words, verse 19 and 20. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Now, each phrase is, is important here. Go and make disciples of all nations. Does it surprise you that God desires people from all nations? Does that surprise you? It shouldn't. What is love? Love is something that doesn't bring in. Love is something that gives away. It extends. It, it goes out. Of course, the love of God would, would go out to every corner of this world. Of course, he would compel us to cover every inch of this world with the gospel of his love, because his love expands, expands beyond place and time. Even more, it shouldn't surprise you, because the Bible's been speaking about this from the very beginning. In Genesis, God promised to Abraham, he said, I will surely bless you, and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies, and in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. Or in Psalm 86, all the nations you have made shall come and worship before you, O Lord, and shall glorify your name. Or Revelation 7, after this I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne, and to the Lamb. Many of you who, the, those who were at the choir festival last night, you saw a taste of what that looks like. We had two, three hundred people singing, different colored robes and outfits, and it was beautiful. Now imagine a multitude that you can't count of every tribe and every tongue and every people singing salvation belongs to God. There will be nothing more glorious than that. James Nestigan, who's a theologian, tells a story about a time when he had to go to Africa and he was teaching at a seminary. And they loved him. And so they asked him to teach and to preach at an evening revival service. 
And he said to the director of the seminary, well, should I do this? And the director said, oh, yes, they don't ask white people to do this often. So, yes, you'll go. And then the seminary professor said, I must warn you, if you don't preach for an hour, they'll be insulted. So you better preach for an hour. So Ness again said, okay, I'll preach Psalm 23 for an hour. Can you imagine that? Psalm 23 for an hour. So he gets up. It's night. The church is filled. They have lanterns on the sides because there's no electricity on top. And he preaches for an hour. He's done. So he sits down. And one of the members of the church came up to him, gave him some water and said, that was marvelous. I can't wait for the second half of your sermon. Yeah, so he gets up and he preaches for 30 more minutes and then he says to the group, the well's dry, there's nothing left and he sat down. Tired and exhausted, preaching an hour and a half, he just sat and suddenly a woman stood up in the back of the church and she began to sing. Then other voices started singing. Then they started standing they start dancing as they're singing this praise to God. Nestigan, who's tired, who's, who's moved by these voices, looks up and on the wall he sees the shadows from the lanterns and of the people dancing. And he just started weeping. He says the most beautiful thing he'd ever seen. People from a different tribe, a different people, standing up, moved by God, singing and praising God in their native tongue. Beautiful. Heaven's going to be like that. All nations, all people groups, all tongues, standing and praising God. Beautiful. Of course God calls us to go. Get all those languages in there. And yet as beautiful as that is, I think what's even more beautiful is not just going out to the nations, but how the nations are made disciples by baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them all that I have commanded you. I mean, think about the name in which you're baptized. A name's important. Think of what would it mean if you were baptized in Moses' name. Then that would mean that all of you would have to follow the law perfectly in order to be saved. Or think what would have happened if you were baptized in John the Baptist's name. Then you'd have to constantly run to water in repentance to purify yourself. Those aren't the names in which you've been baptized. You've been baptized into the name of God the Father. The Father. And God the Son and the Holy Spirit. There is no name greater than that name. There's no name that has more love. There is no name that has more benefits. Being an American is a good name. Lutheran is a good name. But these names pale in comparison to the name, the name above all names, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That's the name in which you were claimed, marked. And you've seen this in kids as they stand up and they say, hi, my name is Abigail Lackey, right? I mean, my daughter does this now. And she puts out her hand and, 
And she did this to all my cousins. And all my cousins are going, well, we know Abigail, but that's her identity. And now she knows her middle name. So she goes, my name's Abigail Elizabeth Lackey, because that's who she is. And yet there's a name that's greater upon her. And that name is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It means Christian. That's your name. Could there be anything more beautiful than that? Well, maybe there is with what Christ says and obey all his teaching. How wonderful is Christ's teaching? The teaching of God that, that restrains us when we want to do evil. <laughs> but also the teaching that forgives us when we sin and speaks of a future with him. Christ says, obey those teachings. Obey all of them. It might restrain the sinner in you. It might restore you. It might give you hope for the future. Teach all of it. Make them disciples by baptizing them. Make them disciples by teaching them the good news. And then if that's not good enough in this great commission, Jesus ends with these words. Surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. In other words, Jesus will not abandon you. Jesus is with us always. In the midst of good, and even in a hospital room, he's there. He's, he's, he's there in the midst of all of that. Because he won't abandon you. He said it. And it's true. Linda Giese sent me a letter that I read a year ago, and I want to bring again in case you haven't heard this. Linda Giese sent to me a letter that's speaking about the importance of God being with us. And this was the letter she wrote. She said, good morning, Russ. Sam has just given me your sermon, and it gave me a warm and fuzzy feeling to read that you mentioned my confirmation verse in the sermon. I was confirmed on June 16, 1929. My confirmation verse read, Be content with such things as ye have. For he had said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. That verse has given me a lot of comfort through my 90 years. Take care and God bless Linda. God is with you. He doesn't forsake you. You have nothing to fear. All authority on heaven and earth has been given to Christ. He says, go, carry his love to the ends of the world. <laughs> and he's with us always. We have no need to doubt. And so back to our original question. Is the Great Commission an obligation or an invitation? I guess ultimately it matters who it's from. If Jesus is a taskmaster, then it's an obligation. However, if Jesus is our Lord and Savior, then it's the best of invitations. For it comes from Jesus, the Good Shepherd, who seeks out the lost. He has sought you, and with the authority of heaven and earth, has called you by name. And in the waters of baptism and by his word, Jesus has claimed you. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. 
And so he says, go. Go with the power of heaven behind you. Go with the love of God within you. Go with Christ beside you. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. This is true. God has said it in Jesus' name. Amen.